The following is a breakout session from the 2014 Acts 29 conference in Dallas. Given the interactive nature of breakouts and Q&A, there may be extended periods of silence. Um, so yeah, uh, be blessed with that. Guys, today we are, um, I didn't get the thing. Yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about, um, about budgeting. Exciting topic. Super exciting topic. I know we're all thrilled about that. Um, but look, but here, here we go. I know, right? You excited? Uh, you excited? So, but, but here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. As we get started with this, uh, you guys know, most of you guys in the room, I've met some of you already. You, you're in places, you're in places uh, where you see that, that there's something between here and, and the vision. There's something, there's, we're at a point A, the point B is the vision, right? And, and there's something in between here. The vision is just a question of where we're going. All right, and all you guys are, are a part of that for your churches. Um, if there's a point A, we have to have a clear understanding of point B. Um, it's a question, and many, many of us should kind of answer in a lot of the same ways, but it's gonna, that, that vision question, the point B, is going to sound a little bit differently for each of us in our context and so forth, and that's, that's fine and that's right. Guys, for, for you guys in the room, this is a question that you guys will go again and again to, uh, to adapt, to refine, to change the language of, to rearticulate what is the vision and how does that sound in our context for our church. And, and, and so here's the thing. So um, you often have to get away for that. Right? You have to go away and you do that every now and then. And so, so what we're going to do today is we're actually, for the sake of this session, we're going to assume this question already answered. For you guys, we're going to assume that question already answered and put that on a hold for a second because when, while we refine, and many of you guys are part of these conversations, you go away, you take some 30,000-foot uh, view, and you, you refine or, or re-ask the question of vision, and you go away, for, and you do this from time to time. The question that, that I and, and, and you guys here in the room uh, are faced with every day, many times a day, over and over and over again, is the question not of what does that vision look like, but how do we get there, right? How do we get from right where I am to, to, to where this vision is? How do we get from point A to point B? Guys, as church leaders, um, we are not simply tasked with discovering vision and then articulating it, um, but, but with executing towards it. And so on, on, on first glance, um, I mean, thinking and talking and teaching about budgeting is not the most exciting thing in the world, right? However, executing well, as, as you guys in this room know, executing well is the difference between having an idea, having a conviction, and actually that thing becoming a life, right? And actually this thing becoming a reality. So here's the thing. So Thomas Edison gets credit for the great quote, right? Genius is 99%, is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration, right? So we go and we visit vision, but most of us live in the 99. I know I do. I know I do. I'm Dave Barrett. I'm the pastor. I'm the executive pastor of operations at the Austin Stone Community Church. Um, and I've been there for about seven years, and I have some other careers in the past in engineering and in finance and in strategy consulting and things. And and, and, and I live in this world. And this is James, James Paquette. He is our director of finance at the Austin Stone as well. And uh, he is soon to be um, uh, one of our executive pastors of Central Ministries as well. And, and so we, we, we live and breathe in this world as well because this, the, the path to, from point A to point B is the single greatest determinant of, what, of where you actually arrive when you get there, right? So today what we're going to do is we'd like to share with you just a few insights. Um, so we're going to share some principles and then some, uh, a, um, a survey of some highlights of, of real tangible practices that we use, that we've developed, that we discovered over time in order to actually help achieve that point B, right? So we're going to do that. We're going we're gonna to share a few insights on how we've learned to make s these ideas happen through the areas of budgeting and staffing. All right? Take it away, James. All right. Um, so as Dave mentioned, we're talking about budgeting for a vision. Dave's going to be speaking specifically to staffing for a vision and and so we wanted to share with you guys some of those those key principles philosophies that we that we kind of adhere to and then practices some of the practices that that actually uh, we we stick to and that we do practically speaking what does that look like and so the the first principle here is as we consider our budgets um, we have to step back and realize that our budgets are represent what God's going to provide and that's going to speak to what we're able to do, right? And so the first principle or philosophy or idea that we, that we consider, and, and the first two that I'm going to mention build up to the overall philosophy that, that we're going to land on in this section. But the first one is that God determines what we should do by the limits of what he provides. By the limits of what he provides. 
Uh, Acts chapter 17, Paul speaking in Athens, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined and allotted periods and boundaries of the dwelling place. And so in Acts chapter 17, we see that it's actually God. He actually, he's, he's unlimited in what he can give, right? He's unlimited in his wisdom. And yet in his wisdom, he's limited in what he provides. He's limited in what he provides. And so knowing this, we have to be prudent in our planning, but ambitious in our faith. Okay, prudent in our planning, ambitious in our faith. Um, James chapter 4, it talks about who knows what tomorrow is going to bring. And, it, and it, it, it almost, if you just read the first couple of verses, it talks about we shouldn't plan. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But that's not actually how it ends. It doesn't say that you should say what's going to happen tomorrow. You should say, Lord willing, right? And so it actually speaks to this idea that we should be planning. We're actually being encouraged to plan, but with the right mindset, trusting in his will over our plans. And so knowing that God is the one who determines the limits of what we're going to have to do the vision, to execute this vision, what does this look like? Practically speaking, what does it look like? And so I wanted to give one practice related to this. And so for us, it has to do with our conservative modeling for revenue, the conservative modeling, our forecasting model. Like, what do we do to kind of forecast our revenue? And so, practically speaking, we use a pretty simple linear regression, all right, to come up with what our historical trends would project revenue to be going forward. We take three years of our giving history, we compare that to our growth, what's been happening in attendance, and then we're able to then say, okay, if we grow 0%, What's our baseline, right? If, if you guys, some of y'all might go, have to go back to high school, but remember Y equals MX plus B, right? What is that, what is that process? What is that, um, that starting point? And then what's the slope? Right? I mean, it's pretty simple, right? It's a pretty simple process, but that's what we do. And so we do that, and then we take that in view of what has the recent 12 months been doing, right? And so we compare this, this regression. It's not the end-all, be-all, but it's also in light of what's been happening over the last 12 months. And then finally, the question is, what are we planning for in the next 12 months? Are we launching a campus? Are we not? Do we have any more capacity to grow in our campuses, right? Those are going to be influences. Are we hiring staff, and Dave will talk about this later, that might influence growth and in giving, right? And so we try to think through those things. And so we do this linear regression. I think the best example I can give is this year. We do the regression. It says giving is going to be 18%. We're going to see 18% growth in giving. And so we step back, and so we don't simply say, okay, 18% it is. We go and we look historically over the last four years, what's the simple average? And what's the, what's the mean? What's the middle? What's the bottom? And if you look historically for us over the last five years, the base has been about 15%. The height has been about 19%, actually 20, 23%, right? And so we've been growing a lot. It's not... It's, it, we've been seeing a lot of growth, and so we have to kind of extrapolate, well, that was the year that we launched one of our biggest campuses now, right? And so we can't sit there and say, okay, this three-year regression is going to be the end-all, be-all. So, but it gives us a framework, right? It gives us this 18%. And then we step back and we say, well, what are we doing this year? Well, we're launching a north campus. We're hoping to open that campus in the spring. We're hoping to see growth, right? And so conservatively, we step back and we say, okay, 18%. We're going to, and we've looked at, historically, we've been at 15%, but last year we grew at 16 and a half with zero growth. We've seen, we, we did a generosity series, and we saw our people respond, we saw God work, and we grew at 16 and a half percent, and so we said, we're going we're gonna to keep the same as last year. But it wasn't, we didn't just sit to simply say, we're going to do the same as last year. We didn't say, let's do the re regression, but we came up, this is practically what that looks like. And why do we do this? We know that God is going to He's going to enact what we're going to do. He's going to control, right? He's going to be sovereign over what we do, first and foremost, by what he provides, right? And so he's going to, there's going to be a limit to what he gives us. And so this is us coming up with not a limit to what we're going to do, but helping us prioritize and focus. Okay, we want to keep the main thing the main thing, right? We want to prioritize. And so we can come up with 20 things, but to the extent that it fits in, it's going in the budget if it's priority, and if not, then we're going to hold it back. And if God wants to provide more, then we're going to be ready for that. And I'll talk about a practice for dealing with that next. And so 
That's from the first point is God's going to determine what we should do by limiting. The flip side of that is God is going to determine what we should do, and this is probably where we most, most of us land, by supplying every resource, right? Every resource for his plans. And so we get this in Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 9.8, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound in every good work. And so, guys, we've had years where money came in below budget. We've had years where we've had to come to our department heads and say, okay, we've got to figure out what we can't do, right? And we've had years where money's come in over budget, but we've never had a year where we didn't do what God was calling us to do. We've never had a year that we didn't do what God was calling us to do. And so... For us, to be able to live in this world of, okay, we, we come up with this 16%, or we come up with 5%, or we come up with 20 whatever that is, most likely it's not going to be that number. It's going to be more. It's going to be less. And so what do you do? How do you, how do you have, for us, how are we going to be able to deal with surplus and be ready to, to be ready to live out what God's calling us to do with that money? Or what are we going to do if we don't have enough, Right? And so this is where, for us, we build into our budget a strategic fund. It's, it's, it's got kind of earmarked dollars, right? We'll set aside $200,000 in the strategic fund, and it, it'll be earmarked for special projects, okay? The reason we call it a special project is because it's an idea that we know we're going to do, but we just don't know, quite know how we're going to execute it. Good example is Easter. Easter, for us, has looked very different over the last four years. We would do Easter at the Irwin Center. It's where the UT basketball team plays. Or we would do Easter at multiple campuses, right? We may not know when we're executing the budget right then what Easter is going to look like. And so we may not know exactly what it's going to cost, but we have a rough idea of what we're going to set aside for that, right? When we work with our departments and we work with them and their budgets, their budgets, every line in their budget is actually tagged to something that we know what we're going to do and there's a plan to execute it. It's not just simply the strategic idea that we want to reach more people. How are you going to reach more people? What events are you going to do? There's not a lot of R&D or strategic funds in the ministry budgets. Those budgets represent actual things we're going to do. Budget, and, and we'll talk about how we came up with that in the final point. Now, for the special project uh, process, that also allows us, when money comes in above budget, to be ready to execute the, the things that we would like to do that we didn't necessarily put in our general budget. So it, uh, Dustin was talking about their current process, for those of y'all who are here in the earlier session, because of their size and, and their fluidity, they're able to just kind of text message and, and talk through the approval process. At some point, you're going to get to the po point where your size is not going to allow you to do that, right? You're going to need to be able to have some time to go and prioritize the worship team that wants to do, you know, an, uh, an improvement on the, the production equipment or the, the 100 people, the, the, I'm sorry, the missions team that wants to uh, equip and mobilize the next 100 people to send to overseas or you're going to have to deal with the kids minister who's like, I need another youth pastor, right? So, or you're going to have to buy new bins to fit all the uh, equipment in, right? So you have all these different pressing needs. And so what we've done is we've developed a special project form. Right? We want to give our people the ability not just to budget once a year, but to think through what do you want to do constantly? What do you want to accomplish constantly? And, and so as they get into Q1, we're about to sit down and we're about to reproject and go through their budget. They're going to come to me and if they're going to ask for over $5,000, and that's where we are with a budget our size, we still say if it's over $5,000, if they want to say this is something I want to do, they're going to get that special projects form. Okay? And it's going to be something where they felt who's going to own this project? What is the name of the project? What is the scope of the project? What is the estimate of the project, right? Who's the strategic owner of the project? And we'll get to why that's important later on. But who's the, the, the individual that's on your, your board, your executive team, your strategic team that's going to help promote this in terms of priority, right? And then they can submit this special project. And so as we get these in from the different departments, the different campuses, we're able to then prioritize that as, as funds are made available, we can then release, right? Does that make sense? So that's one thing of dealing with, okay, the surplus. Then you got the deficit, right? What happens if money doesn't quite come in, right? Well, there's things that you have to do that if you don't, you don't have church on Sundays, right? So those get priority level one type things. Like we're talking about keeping the lights on, 
right? We're talking about if you're renting a facility, paying the rent, right? And then there's things that there's fluidity into maybe how much you're investing into the events or the ministry meals or the working meals or maybe the equipment that you were going to upgrade throughout that year. You, you're able to then create levers in your budget, right, that you can pull if necessary so that you can keep the main things the main thing. And so, you know, using this special project process it allows us to make good decisions within the limitations of our funds. It helps us actually stay focused, right? Because we're going to have a lot of people with a lot of great ideas. But those ideas come back through the strategic team. The strate and we'll talk about this in a little bit. The strategic team is the one who helps kind of uphold the values, right? The core values, the core vision of the church. And so those two, those two issues of we're limited, right? But we know God's going to provide everything that we need. Right? Come back to this overall philosophy that we, we press into our department heads. We press into our strategic team and our executive team that ministry drives budget. Ministry drives budget. A lot of times as we get um, into the seasons, into the 99%, um, it's, it's, it's in a sense mentally we know that God is going to provide. But as we see that, that the, do the, the dollars are limited, we think we're limited in what we can do, and we forget that we're going to do everything that God's going to call us to. Because the truth is we'll never do more, and we will never do less than what God has in store for us. And we have to remember that, and we have to preach that to ourselves. We have to preach that to our teams, that ministry drives budget, the practice of keeping ourselves focused on the vision that God has for us. And so what does that look like practically, right? This is this philosophy, ministry drives budget, but practically what does that look like? Well, for the Austin Stone, it starts with, two different views, vantage points. It starts with a top-down and a bottom-up. We do both of them at the same time, okay? Top-down is where you get your vision. It's where you get your values that you're going to uphold. It's where you get the tweaks that may need to be made with respect to that vision. That starts with our, our strategic team, right? We have, is it six? Six guys right now? Six guys on our strategic team, and they represent the core values of our church, right? And we have our lead pastor and our pastor of preaching vision on this team. And on this, this is where the guys come up with year in and year out and throughout the year praying and wrestling with the scriptures to the extent that God is calling us to be a New Testament church in the city of Austin. What does that look like? We want to uphold the word of God. We want to uphold worship, right? These core values, right? And so these guys come up with the initiatives, these, these ideas, right, of what we're going to do during the year. And that filters down from the top to our executive team, right? So now to Dave and myself. And there's overlay. Dave's on the strategic team, but he's also on the executive team, right? But there's guys on the strategic team that aren't. There's these executive pastors, the executive team that now are like, okay, we've got the vision, We've got these kind of general initiatives. How are we going to execute on that? And they're able to, they're able to kind of go through, right? And um, they're able to go through and, and take these ideas and, and think through how are we going to make these reality with overlap from the strategic team. Talk through, okay, what is the red initiative, the blue initiative? It's, it's a term we used a couple years ago, priority one, priority two, right? And so we come up with these things. The executive team then drives them down to the departments, Okay, the departments are the ground guys, right? They're the guys on the ground, day in, day out, actually doing the vision, right? On the Sundays, on the Wednesdays, on the Saturday seminars, right? On the, the winter trips with the students, they're the ground guys, right? So the executive team is working. Each of those guys has groups of department heads that owns their budgets, working with them to make sure that their line numbers, their budget lines, their resources represent things that will feed up into the overall vision and overall values, right? And so that's our, our top-down approach. It starts with the vision casting, upholding from our strategic team, implemented to the leadership of our executive team and reviewed. Oh, the last piece, integrity, right? Okay, so we come up with the vision, we come up with the plan, we have the department heads, right? The integrity of this is managed by our operational elders. So I'm just Practically speaking, giving you guys an, an overlay of how do, how do we do this. Our operational elders, they provide review and in somewhat oversight, but not control, of ensuring that the funds and the resources we have are actually being executed well in light of what the executive team and the strategic team have laid out. Okay, so it's made up of three el uh, staff elders and two non-staff elders. And so special projects forms, I said I was going to talk about this again. Those things come in, those go through... If they're over $5,000, those go through our operational elders, 
right? That's where they kind of get sifted and prioritized and, and understood as to, is this in line with what we want to do in this fiscal year, right? Or is this something we want to probably hold off on? Or even in that special projects form, there's other alternatives. And they may want to say, you know what? I know you want to do this, but you said this was an alternative. Let's, let's, I want to know more about that. Right, so our operational elders provide review, and they help give oversight um, to the things that we do. And so then you got your bottom up. Okay, so this, as a finance director, this is where I would live. Right, I'm meeting with each of the department heads as they submit their budgets that have been developed with conversations of the executive team, influenced by their strategic teams. They're coming to me, and part of them is they're like, "How much money can I have? Right? How much money can I have? And what do I say back? How much money do you need? Right?" They're like, well, how much money can I have? And we can sit there and have that conversation for like 30 minutes. I'm not kidding, right? And so what I do to help them think through this is, well, what did we do last year? What do we want to continue to do? What worked well, right? What was in our wheelhouse? What didn't work well, right? What, what was something that we did, we tried, but it didn't quite work well? And what are the new things that you're hearing from the executive team that you want to do? Right? What are those new things? And so as they think through that lens, they can start coming up with, okay, here are the events that I want to do. Here are the outreaches that I want to execute. Here are the trips that I want to go on. Right? And they can go and they can start thinking through, okay, here's what it's going to cost. And so I give, I give them a framework of last year, but I'm not simply saying, you get last year's budget plus 10%. That's not what I'm saying. Because I'm at the same time, I'm saying, you get zero until you tell me what you want to do. So we're trying to live in this world of it's not same as last year. It's not zero-based budgeting. It's, it's trying to bring them both together to help them think through and them own the actual things that we're trying to accomplish, right? And so then they come up, they submit their budgets, and then it goes back up through that top-down approach, right, the thing that I just talked about. And so it's not a once-a-year thing. It's, this is important for us to continue to do. And so the last thing that I want to talk about is just the reprojects and the, and the quarterly meetings that we do. We do a lot of work on the front end of the budget, but then I'm literally, so our, our fiscal year ends in July, and so we're, we're at, we just finished Q1. And so in the next two weeks, before I fully transition, I'm going to have probably my last round of quarterly reviews with these budget owners. And I'm going to see, how did we do? And I'm going to ask them, there's two questions that I ask these guys. If and this is depending on if they have a surplus or a deficit relative to their budget. Now, they won't have those things without me already knowing, right? Without things, if they have a, a deficit, then I probably already know that. But the conversation with them is that's because in March they were going to do something that they actually did in October. Or that's because they submitted a special project that got approved that wasn't in the original budget, and so we're still, we're still comparing to the old budget, and we haven't updated our budget numbers. The surplus, the questions I ask them is, what does this surplus represent? Does it represent you thinking that you could do more than you could chew? Like you could chew more than you could, you know, bite off more than you could chew, right? And that's a lot of the times the case. They had these great ideas, and they're going to do, you know, five events a month all year long, and then they average three, right? And so the negative consequence of that is there's funds that we didn't have available for other things that we, we, we felt like God could have done some awesome things in. And so we want, we want to coach, and that's why we do this quarterly. And so they'll tell me, man, I just can't do what was in my budget, and so we'll reproject. Or they'll tell me, you know what, we were going to do this event in October, but because of this campaign that you guys you know, wanted to do strategically, we weren't able to do it in October, we're doing it in April, we're able to reproject and manage our cash accordingly. Does that make sense? And so... That's, that's what I got for, you know, budgets, budgeting for a vision. Um, we wanted to open it up for a little Q&A with respect to budgeting, the budgeting process, maybe some more practical questions that you guys might have. The what is a surplus? Okay, so if it's surplus, the, the two questions are, does this represent something that you're going to do later? instead of already having done it? Or does it represent the fact that it's a real surplus that I can take and reallocate? That's the question. I need to know. I want to know as soon as possible. Can I reallocate this? Because you guys know we, we always have a list of things we would love to do, right? We always have a list. We always have those special project forms coming in. And so the sooner I can find out if I have those funds available, the better. Well, the first question is, is how are you going to make it up, right? That's, that's really the first question. And, and, and they're going to want me to answer that for them. 
Um, and it just depends on their experience, right? What's, what's their background? If, they're, if, they're, if finances and budgeting and numbers is just, I mean, they're just, they're a pure pastor type, right? And they're just like, I, I don't know. I'm like, okay, well, let's look at what you have coming up, right? What are the three, you have three um, events for your students and two of them are in the same month. Is two of those events necessary to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish in students, right? And then if not, if they're like, man, I got to do all of this, then what I do, if it's over $5,000, as I say, you need $5,000 more, or whatever it might be, to make up the difference. They give me a special project for something that's already in their budget in the future. That way the op elders can then approve the deficit and get us back on, back on track. Does that make sense? Huh? Well, if they, no, it's two. It's like, it's really kind of like, it's trying to address two different issues, right? Can they make it up? And a lot of times they really can. Right, because most of our guys, they just, as hard as I am to try to keep all the fluff and the R&D out, I mean, we have a, we, our people are dreamers, right? The people on the ground, that, they're there because they have great ambition, great dreams to do great things, but they only have 24 hours in a day, and, you know, we've gotten better. I would say we've gotten a lot better over time in terms of what's actually in our budget and actually hitting our numbers, so. So the two questions to summarize are, what do you do to make it up? Or, mm -hmm. or submit a special project. Yeah. Where are we going to get the money? Yeah, how are we going to get the money? That's right. Just ministry budgets. Salaries are managed through the executive strategic team with a review uh, from the operational elders. No, they're, they're, well, they have the priorities in terms of like the, 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 what the, the church priorities, the goals that we're trying to do this year, but then they, within that, the specific things they're going to do, they prioritize. And then the final review is, again, filtered through op elders, executive team, and strategic team, and they may, they may change those priorities and say, man, these are great ideas. We actually like number three better than number one. That's right. Well, we've had to do it. Um, and we've had to do it actually recently because what will happen, it's not just does the money come in or not. Sometimes um, a great idea comes up that requires us to be able to fund, like if, if we get an opportunity to move our West Campus to a facility we've been trying to move to for a long time, and that comes up, and we just, it came out of nowhere, we, we didn't budget for that, and we need half a million dollars to do that, and we're not going to do a micro campaign for that right then and there, then we'll have to get creative and work with our teams to think through those, those things. So whether it's because the money didn't come in, or because we're, a new initiative has popped up in the middle of the year, and so yeah, we have to have some hard conversations of, the answer's not no, the answer's not yet. Does that make sense? So I think a, a theme here that you'll see thread, and we'll talk about staffing in a second as well, is that all of these, all of the, all of these things done, the theme, the theme that threads through all of these things is uh, it's a conversation, it's a collaboration. It's, you know, there's, there's two sides to this. There's, hey, there's the ministry purposes of that individual ministry. With it, that we want to give them as much ownership as we can, um, but at the same time, they need the accountability for what their plans are. But there's also the perspective of the strategic, the, the, the movement level, you know, I, uh, initiatives, the things that we see are either, you know, pre-planned or even opportunistic that, that can impact, you know, that can, can impact ministries. And so if a ministry has an opportunity and they go over budget, it impacts the movement level uh, things that we're doing as a church, and if the but if the if the church is, has either uh, overpromised or or we just have an opportunity, then that definitely impacts the ministry, and it happens through comp you know, repetitive conversations about where we are, uh, what are your plans, how do those need to adjust, and it's a continual process. Yeah, and just one more thing is, so we have what's called a minimum reserve, all right, and that's something that allows us the flexibility in those situations so if we like for example i mean there is limited resources so if we didn't have that and we went over budget we would be overdrawn right and so the minimum reserve is what allows us so we're, we're checking that right and so we may go into that in one month but 
that's why we're having the quarterly reviews. The minimum reserve is to kind of give us that gap so that we can then reproject special projects forms, those kind of things. Yeah, you, well, we're actually in the process of rebuilding it right now with with the stuff that went down this spring. So we, used, we dipped into that for the first time in 12 years. Yeah. So we, we, it's a, it's a, it's got to be a really good reason to dip in. Yeah. The rest of the yeah. So you're talking about a lot of people who know a lot about a budget. What, where are they seeing this? How far? How complex is this part of the town? If you're doing a project, are they seeing like? Yeah. Uh, are you breaking it down to the point of here's what our estimated train costs will be, and here's what travel costs will be? So what what is like Jim yeah. Bob Newcaster yeah. who knows he can spend whatever fifty thousand dollars? Right. What does he see? What does he know? So um, we have a pretty complex accounting system right now. Um, I don't know how many of you guys understand accounting segments. So like our account string is made up of make sure I get this right, five segments, right? So we understand the fund. It makes it, it, We can understand the location, what campus it goes to. We can understand um, what division. So maybe it's our general division, our church division, or our intern division, or those kind of things. Uh, we can understand our department, right? And then we can understand the actual account code, printing, ministry meals, supplies, those kind of things. And so what they get monthly is they get their report of how much did I spend this month, what did I budget for this month, and what's my variance, right? And so I'm seeing it on a grand scale. And so there's probably, there's probably deficits, but there's also surpluses. And so in total, unless there's this overall deficit, I'm able to kind of like, okay, I can wait till the end of the quarter, and I'm just a quick email, hey, I see a deficit here, heads up. It's not, if it's within a threshold, we're okay, those kind of things. Um, but for the special projects, those all hit one line. That's all, all, they hit the special project, it all hits one line, and then we deal with that at the end of the year with reallocations. So, Rex, that was the accounting answer. <laughs> Let me give you the finance answer, all right? So, I mean, this, this is right at the, the level, but so Jim Bob, the, the youth pastor, he sees uh, the degree of detail that he desired for his budget to be in for that which he is responsible for. So we have we have a lot. Most most things are done centrally, and what we've done, we've kind of like uh, kind of like Dustin does at at Gulf Shores, um, at Mosaic. There, um, you guys heard from. Um, we we want to serve those campus pastors and those campus teams by minimizing the number of um, of ancillary uh, budget management arenas they have to be cognizant of and responsible for. So we really narrow that down, and they have a lot of freedom on how they they get input on how they build their GL. So if they don't need the detail of supplies and printing, if, they, if that's not, if it doesn't help them to manage the, all, all he cares about is is fifty thousand dollars, re really. And, and do you have a good plan that is according to that ministry vision, uh, that's going to use that fifty thousand dollars to get there? And so he has a lot of freedom to build that. Some 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 leaders have nineteen budget lines that they that they budget by. Some have like four, and we give them a lot of flexibility with that. So does that help? Cool. We need to turn the corner. Um, yeah, go for it. Uh, Blackbaud's financial edge. I would say it's um, it's probably more than we need. So, just FYI. We do. Uh, we need to turn turn the corner. We'll have some time for Q and A at the end. If and if your questions are still on budget rather than staffing, we'll go wherever you guys want to go. Um, but guys, the the second half of this, the other piece that for many of you, uh, really literally is about half probably of of what you budget is is, is staffing. Um, it's people. It's, it's, it's not, we're, we're not in the business as a church. We're not in the business of, of making widgets. Uh, we don't have something that comes in. the. We don't have like, you know, uh, uh, work in progress. We don't have inventory costs. Our, our costs are people. We're leading people. That's what our, our core competency is leadership. And so you're going to have a large piece of your budget allocated to, stuff, to, to staffing, of course. So the question, the question is how do, you, how, do you, how do you make sure that your staffing practices, your staffing plans align also to that point B? that's getting there where you're going to go. And so, guys, this is a place that it requires a philosophy for staffing, uh, and it requires really some, some, some appropriate practices to get there. So similar to what James did, I want to give you some practical tools that, that support philosophies for us. I'm going to do a quick survey. We're going to go real fast. So, so that if there's, there is something that is a nugget for you, uh, then, then you kind of have that. You make some notes, and ask us later. We'll be happy to share everything uh, that, that we can on that. Um, by the way, the special project form that he talked about will be in your materials uh, that are available in the Dropbox, as will be uh, several of the things that I'm about to talk about right now. So, look, 
Let me just give you three staffing philosophies that we work from. Uh, these philosophies are going to be earth-shattering. All right, they're going to be so novel, you're going to blow, it's going to blow your socks off. All right, ready? Here's the first one. Hire the right positions. Hire the right positions, right? It's a no-brainer. Um, but doing it is a little harder, right? right? So hire, it's, it's a value for us to hire the right positions uh, for this vision. But our practice here, our practice here as we do so, here you go, I'll let you do that, um, is, is to actually have a, a, a consistently reviewed and agreed upon and, and, and pressed out uh, revised staffing plan. Is this a, some, a conversation that we have among our executive team month after month after month? Every month we're asking questions. Are we sure these are the right next people that we need to hire? And so however you do that, there's a lot of different ways. We built a, a spreadsheet tool that James feeds with some budget information and stuff, but you can do it simply. It's, it's how, who are the next hires we need to make and what is their, their, their uh, total cost of employee impact on this year's remaining budget? Plus, you got to think about their annualized impact as well. You know, you hire somebody in this year's budget, and it's the last month of the budget. You're like, oh, they only cost us like $5,000. Cool. Well, but then you got to pay for their $50,000 salary next year. So, so we think about these things, and we do it regularly. That's our practice. Um, collaboration, again, conversation. We, we, we have some tools, but the tools don't do the work. Uh, it is, is the collaboration of our teams and working through these uh, two principles that we, that we apply. Two of many, but two, two kind of interesting principles that we apply as we have these conversations. One. One principle, as we prioritize, we actually not only consider the value-based hiring priorities um, as far as the ministry values, we also, at the same time, uh, consider the income that might be produced by that hire. All right? Sounds a little weird. All right, but here's, here's the thing, as we know, is remember that the every hire impacts your budget once. Every hire impacts your budget once. Every hire is going to hit your payroll expense line once. Right? But some of your hires impact your budget twice. Some of your hires are actually in a place where they're assimilation, they're, they're kids, they're connecting, they're discipling, they're, 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 they're doing things with people that actually help, help grow your church's generosity in one way or another that actually, that actually end up paying for themselves or, or, or paying for other roles that, have, that have you, you have yet to hire. So I'm not saying do this exclusively. Our priority is not uh, first to, to hire people that can fundraise and then secondarily to do ministry. But, but, but in the short term, it, we have to think short term, um, we, it is critical to shepherd and mobilize the church now, but it's also critical to shepherd and to mobilize the church in the future as well. All right, so th those are, the sustainability of those things is important. And so what, what it simply means is if we have a priority and we have, and so our, our missions, guys, is, is like number three, but we have the right guy for a connection guy. It's the right guy, but he's number nine on the list. He's the right guy, and that guy's going to pay for himself and probably pay for that missions guy too. It's not at the expense of the missions guy. It's actually because we're going to hire him anyway. We don't, we don't, we're, not, we're not hiring just for the income, but if we're going to make that hire anyway, then we'll go ahead and make, and we got the right guy. We may go ahead and prioritize him ahead and say, look, let's go ahead and have, get that guy in. He's the right guy. And, uh, and, and the, the, the generosity that will come, you know, at least in part as a fruit of his ministry, will actually help us down the line to be able to hire more missions, guys. So there's the principle. There's the, there's the thing that we do with that. Um, so ask me questions about that later if you have questions on it. Principle number two is this, is we, we, we hire for leadership development. As we think through that list, we hire for leadership development. Um, hire leaders expect development. Everybody, everybody says they're a leadership development organization, and we all should be. We all should aspire to that. We all want to be. But here's the thing. You give me five minutes in your budget, and I can tell you whether or not you really are. Here's why. Here's why. is because a leadership development, true leadership development ethos permeates everything, especially your staffing plan, especially your, your payroll. Here's how. It's because as a rule, as a rule, we don't make hires long-term for doing the work of ministry. We make hires for those who lead those who will and develop those and disciple those who will do the work of ministry. All right, so what happens is this, is we don't, we, we, we don't want to do that because we want to be leadership developers. And, and, and we, don't, we don't want to use tasks or we don't want to use people to accomplish tasks, but rather we want to use tasks as a context to develop people. And if that's truly the, the value, one of the key places where we just overlook its application is in our hiring. And so what that means practically is that, look, um, if we were going to develop people with those tasks, then don't hire for a role of a direct ministry or administrative or whatever function that could have a line out the door of people, of volunteers, of interns, of, of lay leaders who would gladly and, 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 and dutifully and wonderfully serve in that area as a means of their service and a main, as a means of their development. I'll give you an example. 
uh, a year or so ago, we had a, um, there's a gal who uh, runs our, um, ran our, um, our equipping uh, ministry in women's development, that's right. And, uh, and she was organizing uh, short-term trips for women for the information and so forth. Um, she's not especially gifted in the administrative piece. And she had this intern, she had an intern uh, for two years who was extraordinarily gifted in this. And so she poured into this girl. She had that context. There was, she was organizing trips, managing the money, uh, training the people, all these kinds of things. And this staffer um, came to me. He's like, hey, I need to hire this girl. I need to hire her. I can't let her go away. I'm like, well, why? Because then I'd have to train somebody new to do all this stuff, and I don't know how to do it. I said, like, well, here's the problem with that. I hire for that role. I just took that role forever off the table for the next 10 people that might want to come and be discipled by you in the context of that role. Don't take that off the table for ministry development. And so we hire for that. And so we, um, there certainly are exceptions where there is a certain degree of, uh, of professional um, acumen or, or a tacit knowledge that is required to endure, and you can't afford to retrain, that sort of thing. And I get that. But those are the exception. We try to make those the exception rather than the rule. And if there's something that, that I, look, I don't mind telling you as a leader to go ahead and you, you climb the learning curve. Train a new person. Why? Why? Because your primary role is to develop, the, to develop leaders, it's to disciple this person. And you don't, let me not, I'm not going to take that context away from you because you want to be, you want to take the shortcut to leadership. And so that's been a hard line, um, and, uh, but one we've, we've permeated and folks have just, they used to ask all the time and now they just, they quit asking. Like, all right, I'll go find another leader, <laughs> right? Um, so, so that's principle number two. Um, that's, so hiring the right positions, uh, let, me, let me go to the, the second principle here. This one, again, is going to blow your socks off. It's hire the right people. Hire the right people. You're like, all right, uh, <laughs> right? Hire the right people. Um, and here's our practice in that. Um, hire the right people is something, the right people is something you have to define but for each of us, having the right process, the right degree, the right complexity or simplicity of process in order to ensure that um, it, it is what it takes to, to actually hire the right people. And for us, we used uh, the, um, David uh, Goodmanson's triperspectival character competency and compatibility. We, that, that's a lens through which we look, and, we wanna, and we, we've built out some tools uh, for a hiring process um, that, that helps uh, um, enable our uh, ministry leaders, our supervisors who are going to be making that hire, um, to be able to do so with wisdom and to, to have the information that they need to make a wise decision. The process doesn't do it for you, uh, but the process helps equip them, equip other people. When it was just me and two other guys doing all the hiring, we didn't need a process, right? We, did, we could just do it. We could follow these things. We look at character competency, compatibility. We're going to uncover uh, their character assessments. We're going to define the job, make sure they're a good fit, all these kinds. They're going to meet the team, make sure they like everybody and everybody likes them. These are important features, but as we ask more and more different people to be part of the hiring process, um, we have needed to increase the, the visibility of, here's how we do this around here. So you don't have to be a hiring expert, but you can actually, you could make a wise hire, right? And so for us, um, there's some resources that we have available for you guys in the, uh, in the Dropbox um, that Young has is, is provided. Uh, and in there is going to be um, a 31-page uh, little, little article <laughs> on interviewing and hiring at the Austin Stone. Uh, everywhere from philosophical convictions that we start with to the very practices of, of the format that a, uh, a, a job offer should look like and everyth everywhere in between. Uh, so we have that, we wanna equip, equip our supervisors. You guys are free to take that. You can change it, you can do anything you want to with it. If you have questions about it, uh, let us know. Um, the other tool here is, uh, is we use is actually a robust hiring process for our candidates. And so there's some other resources in your, in your, in your pack that will include um, the, our three-part application interviewing and hiring process. And uh, for those, that works well because, I mean, we have some application. We want to we look at competency and make sure that this is a job that you can do. If we put you in a job you can't do, you're going to be frustrated and I'm going to be frustrated with you. It's not, you know, and, and, and the second piece is, is we want to make sure that you're a good fit, the, the compatibility to culture. We want to make sure that you can enjoy being in this family, that you can operate, that you're not going to find yourself in tension with the values of this family. And, how, well, so we get to know you. So our interviews are seldom just across the table, kind of a 30-minute session. I want to take you to get some coffee. We're going to go eat some lunch. We're going to, I want to meet your wife. I want to meet your kids. We're going to spend some time with you. And so um, many things we want to do very, very, very quickly, hiring is not one of them. We're willing to take our time. I, I waited for this guy for nine months. My life was terrible. I needed this guy a year before that, and I waited for him until he was ready for nine months. And it's good because here's the deal. It's, it's a two-sided conversation. On one side with hiring, we're, we're, we, want, we want to ask the question, hey, is, is this the right step for you? And it, it, but, but they're asking the same question. 
You know, I spent 10 years in corporate America. It's a very different conversation when you're hiring in corporate America. I'll tell you, it's like it's me interviewing and trying to figure out why I should not give you an offer and you trying to convince me why I should give you an offer. Your goal is an offer and my goal is to not do something stupid. I mean, really, right? But in this context for you guys, it, it gets to change. And so having a process that allows you to, 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 to you and a candidate or a candidate pool for you and a candidate to be able to ask the same questions. We want to know the answer to the same questions, and that's this. Where in this next season of your life and ministry will you best be spent for the cause of Christ? We want to know the answer. We both want to know the answer to the same question. So let us discover this together with transparency. Our process, guys, is invasive. It's invasive, um, but it is helpful. And we've had people, we've, uh, it, it was most recently called a gauntlet. Um, but not in, the, not in a derogatory way, as much as people at the end of that, um, they know, look, I know everything about you. I know, I, but, but in that, like even in the character assessment piece, that we're assuring that you are biblically qualified to be an elder or deacon in the church. I mean, that's, a, that's a leader. And so the qualifications for those guys is, is all but one, one for elders, all, all but preaching and teaching. All the other biblical qualifications are character-oriented, right? So we want to be sure and, and not be sure like, hey, I'm going to exclude you, but I want to be sure that because I know you're sinful, what we want to be sure of and you want to be sure of is the, of the gospel's activity in your life in those areas. That's what qualifies you. And so having that conversation, and th- even through this gauntlet process, is massively freeing for people. They're like, all right, I don't have, you know, you, you know that thing about me, right? And so when someone comes up later and says, look, hey, you hired John. Do you know what John did five years ago? And I'm like, actually, I do. I do, and I have seen no greater activity of the work of Jesus Christ in a man's life than that. Praise God for that, and I'm so thankful. Uh, I, let me go let you talk with John, you know? Um, and so, so that's, that's the, for us, this process is not a, a rote deal. It's not something we just want to over-processitize things, but it is a helpful tool for, to make wise decisions like this, all right? So that's hiring the right people for the vision. Um, lastly, and I'm just going to glance off of this, is, uh, it's a, it's, this is going to be a class in itself, but the last principle is compensate them rightly. Compensate them rightly. Let me give you two. Let me give you two. Um, uh, here's, here's our practice and the principles that we try to obey. The practice is this, is we use a system that is based on targets, and we set those targets through benchmarking. If you want to know a lot deeper, then we can you know, email me later. Um, but we set those targets through benchmarking. Um, it's a really helpful place to start. We use ministrypay.com, which is the NACBA, the North American Church Business Administrators Organization. Pay your dues. Get, put your information in, get the survey, it's really helpful. Um, the second one we use is leadership networks, the leadnet.org survey. Um, pay your dues, put in your, willingly give your information and data so that you can be part of that. Those are two really helpful, helpful surveys that can help you with benchmarking. But let me tell you, th- of course those do not, those are not always going to be one for one. This job is exactly your job. So you still have to do the work of translation of the responsibility, the role of that job. So we look externally for those benchmarks. Um, we, we translate that to what our jo- job role would, would equivalent would look like and try to do, do the math there as much as we can. And then we look and calibrate according to the rest of the, the salary scale of our organization, right? And, and so those are some steps that we, that we take in developing those targets, and then we kind of go from there and some bands and some modifiers and some things like that. Um, but, but, at the, but if you aren't already benchmarking and kind of get a sense of, otherwise it's like, oh, so how, how, how much do I feel like paying that person? Right? And so you want to try to eliminate as many, as many sort of uh, uh, quantitative variables as you can so then the qualitative things uh, you can add on top of that and they're not going to be way off base. You're starting in the right place. So uh, I, would, I would recommend doing that stuff. And so the principles and why we do that is, is these principles. It's one, uh, it's, it's we don't want to underpay and we don't want to overpay. Seems pretty simple, right? Um, and, and this is why is because we want to strive, the, 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 the principle is this, we want to strive to make money as much of a non-issue as we can for our people, for the persever- their perseverance and what is truly a calling. Because here's what happens. If we, if we underpay, if we underpay, then this is the obvious uh, side that we could err on. We underpay according to peers, according to, hey, can I get this job somewhere else, that sort of thing. Then what happens is we underpay and we artificially, if we artificially depress a salary, knowing better, if we artificially depress a salary, then what we're doing is we're tempting someone uh, and, and making it more difficult for them to stay in a role and in a, in a place in which they may be genuinely called. I'm tempting them away from calling because they just can't survive on this, right? 
And so we want to pay appropriately. We don't want to underpay. Uh, don't muzzle the ox while he's treading out the grain, Jesus quotes that in Deuteronomy, right? The laborer is worth his wages. Um, and so don't artificially tempt leaders away from enduring in a role they're called to. But we can also, we could also overpay. And, we, and that's also ungracious. It's a way we can err. And here's why is because if we overpay, in other words, if I'm making, if I'm making a certain salary or compensation package right now, that I could no way, shape, or form go to another church and, and perform a similar role for the, a similar type of a salary range, then what you've done is you've assured that calling aside, calling aside, I'm not going anywhere. So what we do is we artificially tempt someone to endure in a role or a place where they may not be still genuinely called. And so, we, so we wanna, that's why we want to make money as much of a non-issue as we can by not underpaying and not overpaying. And we use, we use benchmarking, and some of that is the baseline of our comp model to kind of help us calibrate, to get us in the right ballpark on that. All right? Cool. Um, questions? Questions, guys? Those are, I went fast. Those are three principles, three practices. Maybe one or two of them are helpful. Salary comp stuff. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, w- yes, but I think what you'll you'll also find and pull the right survey. Um, pull the right survey. Look at a national average. Look at a regional. Look at regional. Um, the, the the hard part is that it's this is it's not actually as scientific as it sounds. You're trying to eliminate as many easily eliminatable variables so that you can make wise decisions about what staffing a staffing stack looks like for you. Um, so 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 run national, see what it looks like, see if there is a big difference regionally. Um, sometimes you run into the deal that there's not a lot of other pure churches regionally, and so you kind of have to go up a scale in church, maybe down a scale in church, and make that translation too. So it's not it's half art, half science, but you're long, you're on the right track though. You want to make as many, you know, kind of dial it in with the, the adjustments that you can try to make. It is, uh, and it's at the executive team level. So each of our executive pastors um, leads uh, one-third of the staff of the church. And so in those conversations, we each have a pretty strong pulse on where the, the next ministry needs are as we work with our supervisors. So my communication director, we have active conversations about his staffing strategy for his team. And so when we get together as an executive team, I'm representing um, our, our communications team staffing needs. And at the same time, um, desiring and value the the, the priority the, the the optimal priority of allocation of staffing for our whole church uh, but yeah right right we have a we have a, an operations team a central ministries team and then our campus uh, campus teams so we have three executive uh, executive pastors for this that's right that's right that's right that's right. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. it's also in the student administrator comes into your office and says, I need a raise. Yeah, yeah right? there's that too. I mean, that, that, those conversations happen, right? Yeah. That's right. So it's not quite as nice and sort of uh, organized as that. Uh, but but it, it follows generally that, that sense because, yeah, that I've already had the conversation with my story team leader. You know, I've already had the conversation. And, 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 and so, by the way, um, that personal conversation about, man, I, I'm not going to ask for any more money. I just need you to know I'm hurting. My answer, it may be, hey, well, let's give you a raise. But that raise, uh, that raise should only be based on his job role and performance, not on need. That's a mistake we often make. You can't pay someone based on need because then you violate that underpay-overpay scenario. So if you're having a hard time, like, do you're in debt up to your eyeballs, man, we're, we're your family. We're your family. I'm going to write a check to you. I got some friends that will write a check for you. You got a community that write. And, and when those are done and that's still that's on enough, then we're going to care for you as a family out of our benevolence. And we're going to help you out of that situation. But I'm not going to build it into your salary. Yeah, right? Um, so that's how those go. Staffing is just like an interesting thing. But you guys are prioritizing what staffing positions are going to be coming next differently from the perspective you typically just get from so on and so forth. Yep. Your different departments are also doing the same thing and they're speaking up to you guys. That's right. The student ministry department saying, we need these three staff positions. That's right. 
That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Yep. You got it. That's exactly how it works. It, it's conversational, um, iterative, but that's exactly the executives uh, um, represent our teams and represent one another. So when I go back to my media team and I tell them, hey, guys, I didn't fight for you guys to be number one and three. Here's why. I, I, I don't believe that, that this is the biggest bottleneck for our church. I believe our student ministry is. And so when you look at like that red level, you know, top priority, we say we have to fix student ministry. Then that drives and that, that what that is is a shortcut to future conversations about that hiring. Pri well, we already have our priority, so we're going to prioritize students. So it just it all works together like that. Yeah. Yeah. Any questions? Yeah, the question is, when, when, do you, when do you call a volunteer intern position? When, when do you go ahead and just say, all right, we'll, we'll hire it, essentially, right? Well, or, let me ask this. Or at what point, if somebody requests saying, we need somebody to tackle this task, at what point yeah. do you say they're going to hire? At what point do you say, we'll do an intern pool? And you say, you guys do that. I gotcha, gotcha. That's good. Um, so the default is go find a leader. So we always start is go find a leader. And so when you run out of time, when you run out of time and capacity to develop more leaders, then I'll hire you some help. Until then, look, we're, we're done talking, right? And so, and so that's a, you know, that's, that's a, a conversation, even if it's administrative. So, um, so our, our new um, women's ministry, they have an administrative intern. She didn't know anything about administration, but this is a role that supports and serves. And so the, po the important part there, yeah, there's a task to be done, and there's a lot of other administratively-minded um, uh, minds in the office that can help this person out and teach them the skills. Um, but what this is for, for our ministry team leader, whose intern it is, is a discipleship opportunity. And so this still, she's still going to report to them, and, and they're still going to support uh, all that kind of thing. Um, and so, so the default is as far as we can, uh, we're going to hire. We're, we're not going to hire that role of ministry. Now, when we do, they fit a couple of categories. Uh, one of those categories is this is a role uh, that looking forward year after year into the future, um, it, the, the, the turnover, the, the, the cost of turnover in that role, the tacit knowledge or the professional skill set, like I can't hire a new accountant. I can't have a volunteer accountant, you know, and I can't hire a new one every year. So I'm not going to have a level three intern be an accountant in my finance department. Get that, right? So that's, that's like kind of the first test is, is there a tacit role whose, whose cost of turnover outweighs the benefit of that opportunity to develop another, another, another disciple, right, as a position? So it's kind of a cost benefit there, right? Um, another one is this, is if, if that is a, an area that is growing such that that next hire would actually be positioned to now now lead more leaders. So when I said that about, hey, you run out of time to go, to go develop more leaders, to go find more leaders, then I'll hire someone. I'm not going to hire someone that you could have found to develop. develop. I'm going to hire you someone to help you lead more people. Right? And that, that's, a different, that's a different approach. So I'm going to either increase your capacity to lead more people, or I'm going to put someone beside you who can lead more people. But it's all, again, for the purpose of being able to, to, to scale up our leadership. And so through this model, we have more interns than we do staff. We, seriously, we have, uh, we have uh, what, how many, 80? We have 80. 80, 80 interns. Uh, we've been up to 80, 80 interns. And, and it's, well, I'm not going to hire that. Well, we, I mean, we can't afford to hire everybody that everyone want to ask. But through this lens, it actually makes those conversations a lot easier. Right, does that help? Yeah, so there are a few cases where a leader, um, a leader has to, um, and this will be the last one, a um, few cases where a leader needs to, uh, uh, ha has the, the leadership capacity, right? But, but, um, uh, but, but can, but in, in that is higher than their current ability to administer their leadership position. Um, in, in other words, uh, let's pick, uh, let's pick, uh, I don't know, let's pick me. All right, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an executive pastor of our church. Um, 
I, for the first time, have an, an administrative assistant for the first time this year. First time ever. I mean, we're 12 years old, we have 60 staff members, and we only have one administrative assistant, right? However, I did finally reach a point where my ability to influence and lead other people, disciple other people through these processes, to, 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 value, to, to add value to the ministries of our church, was hindered by, by, my, by my ability to, to um, administer some of the groups and meetings and events and appointments and things that I would do. All right, so that's a simple example, I mean, from an assistant standpoint, but that's kind of the thing, and it was a lo- I waited a long time for that. You know, in, in, fact, in fact, the guy I have right now who's my assistant, um, I, hired him, I hired him, but I only hired him for two years. I said, I'm going to train you to be an executive pastor. And so he's got one more year, and I was like, and, and you're done. I'm going to send you off. Um, you don't have a job anymore. Um, so even in that role, I'm, the purpose is his development and his sending more than it is just to, get, to have someone do my crap work. All right, we have to wrap, guys. We'll be hanging around for, for after this. If you have any questions? Um, the last slide here is, uh, is our email addresses. So, guys, if there's something here that's interesting or you look at some of the resources and you have questions about them, let us know. I'm Dave. This is James. Uh, we're at the Austin Stone. Thank you guys so much.